everybody out there in Avalanche land. Welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast, a.k.a. the Air of Dean Show. I'm the co-host, J.J. Jerez here, of course, behind the scenes, the man with the master plan, Patrick Stedman. Arif, it was a crazy week in the NHL, not only NHL, the Avalanche in Seattle, across the board. It was nuts this week. How'd you handle it? You okay? I, I'm, I'm good. I mean, you guys were calling me out all weekend for just being nuts on Twitter, but man, I live for this stuff. I live for the trades and the signings and the rumors and the rumblings and the, uh, I've heard and the, I've, I have people have said, and, and there's talks of like, I love that stuff. And we just got three or four days of just NHL insanity. And I love it. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess let's go in chronological order here uh, since our last podcast. And we got to start with the Seattle Kraken expansion draft. And that's with Seattle taking Jonas Donsconi. No, Donsconi. Jonas Donsky or whatever it was. <laughs> it was Jonas. Yeah. So I guess aside from losing a middle six winger, what are they losing by getting Donskoy taken from Seattle here or by Seattle? Uh, they're losing $3.9 million in cap space, or sorry, they're gaining $3.9 million in cap space. They're losing that from their cap number. Uh, and that's something that Joe Sackick is going to use to kind of reshuffle the deck with this roster, uh, which is ultimately what's going to happen. I mean, we're not even at unrestricted free agency day. We've not seen the Avalanche add anything other than acquiring a fourth line centerman for Ryan Graves. And we've already seen Matt Calvert's announce his retirement. We've seen Pierre-Edward Belmar's walk into free agency. Donskoy's gone. Graves was traded. Uh, that's four guys. And then there's another one in Brandon Saad who's likely for sure walking. That's five guys. We don't know the Grubauer situation. Landis Gog is still looking a little bit up in the air, like a 50-50. There's going to be quite a bunch of guys, quite a bit of guys that were on that roster last year that are not going to be on it in 2022. And, and Jonas Donskoy is one of those. Well, what's interesting there, I guess I was going to save this for later, but you bringing up the free agency that we're looking to add, or, you know, the free agents that Joe Sackick's looking to add to the team here. And we heard about Suter, right? We heard about Alexiak rumors. So it's obvious they're going for a bigger defenseman somewhere out there, but it doesn't seem like they're having much luck just yet. And the the honestly, the list of free agent defensemen out there is kind of thin. So, you know, I'm kind of nervous about how that's going to pan out. I mean, we were nervous about it last year, and then they suddenly went out and acquired Devon Taves. So Joe's got a plan, and uh, that's what I'm going to stick with right now. If it's two weeks down the line and and he's passing out a PTO to some older defenseman that kind of doesn't really have much of a spot in the game, then yeah, that's a little bit concerning. But right now, we haven't even gotten to the main part of the offseason shuffle, which is unrestricted free agency day, just three days away. I'm super excited for that. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys out there, a lot of trades that could happen. So I'm not too concerned just yet. Jamie Oleksiak does look like the one that got away, but at 4.6 million, who knows if that's something the avalanche could have even fit anyway. So I guess sticking with Donskoy here and a guy that has to come in and replace him, right? You got to put in a a middle six winger. So what, what would you like that guy to look like? And is that a guy that maybe they already have somebody in the uh, AHL or somebody in the depth of the lineup? Or do you think uh, it's someone they have to go out and get that's going to come in and replace Donskoy? So it's going to be a little bit of both because right now, you know, like we've talked about, Burakovsky, Donskoy, Nichushkin, and Saad are your four middle six wingers. Well, two of them are pretty much guaranteed gone. And I'm, I'm considering Brandon Saad is gone. I don't think he's going to resign. So Brandon Saad and Jonas Donskoy are gone. Nichushkin and Burakovsky are coming back. The other two... I firmly believe one of them will be Alex Newhook. He will be a middle six winger. 
maybe a, maybe a third line center. You never know. And I think the last one is going to be somebody off of the free agency or the trade market. Uh, who is it going to be? Who knows? I think it's going to be somebody with more of a physical edge to his game. Um, but you never know. Maybe it ends up being like a more skilled player, like not literally him, but someone like Jaden Schwartz, who's more skilled and can just put up points. Uh, there's options out there. There's options in free agency. There's options on the trade market. It's just a matter of what the Avalanche decide to do. Uh, and and there, there's still the JT Comfort question that's lingering of, is he going to come back? Is he going to get traded? I kind of still think he's going to get traded, but, you know, trades have been happening by the day, and I don't know if he's going to go at this point. Sure. And, I mean, I feel like this year more than ever, they're going to have to rely on some of those homegrown guys like the new hooks and the O'Connors. But at the same time, they're also, they've been preparing for this for the last several years. So it's actually kind of good timing for them that they're going to have to lean on former Colorado Eagles. But I think they're also ready to start doing that because you still have a plethora of guys who can eventually step in and try to make a name for them, right? Like a Martin Kaut, um, you know, a Bowers. You got, you got a lot of guys down there that could possibly make a name. So you, you have to rely on them this year because otherwise you really don't have much money and flexibility with uh, all the FA stuff going on. Yeah, I agree with that. And, um, you know, that's that's why you draft and develop. You draft and develop so that you can have peop- players on their ELCs take up roster spots when your bigger guys are making more money. And uh, we'll get into it a little bit more later. But Joe Sackick said in his press conference that last year was probably the deepest team they were going to have. And that's the reality is they were having, you know, not that Calvert played a lot, but a $2.8 million fourth line winger. And even Comfort was on the fourth line at 3.5 and Belmar 1.8 and Donskoy's in your third line making 3.9 and so on and so forth. That was the deepest team they're going to have because as the bigger guys get paid, you're going to lose those depth pieces and you're going to replace them with players on their ELC. We saw it in Toronto. As soon as Matthews and Marner got paid, as soon as Tavares came in, they had to get rid of Bozak. They had to get rid of Kadri. They had to get rid of James Van Riemsdyk. Uh, I feel like I'm missing another one. They had to get rid of a lot of these guys because now you have to reallocate the money. So the way that I look at it, if you go down the depth chart of the Avalanche, in my opinion, I still think Comfer is going to get traded. I think he's not going to be on the team because I don't think the Avalanche are going to get $3.5 million of usage out of him. So you have a top line of Landeskog, McKinnon, and Rantanen, assuming Gabe comes back, which is still a question mark. So it's hard to really create a depth chart because even at the top line, the first name that you say, Landeskog, McKinnon, Rantanen, that first name isn't even a guarantee right now. Your second line has Kadri and Burakovsky. Your third line has Jostin Nichushkin. Your fourth line has Maltsev and O'Connor. You're pretty much missing three left wingers. And if you had to, if I had to predict, I think Newhook goes into one of those, probably on the third line, which means you're missing a first and a fourth line left winger. So I guess why are you so convinced that JT Confer's on his way out? Do you just think that uh, maybe he's fallen out of favor with the coaching staff? Do you just think it's the dollar amount? What What's the main reasoning for that? Yeah, it's ultimately that. It's the fact that Tyson Jost has uh, surpassed him as the third line center. And now you have JT Comfort. I mean, let's let's put it this way. Are you comfortable with a third line of Comfort, Jost, Nichushkin? No. Okay. Are you comfortable with a second line of Comfort, Kadri, Burakovsky? Also no. Okay, so why pay $3.5 million for a guy to play on your fourth line? I personally believe, and, and this could be wishful thinking at this point, but I personally believe that Tyson Jost is a fourth line center. 
as much as people want to talk about the, the the steps he took, I know he's a fan favorite. I love the kid. He's such a good guy. He's a trooper. He went through that 2020 trade deadline like a champion. He didn't sulk about it. He didn't complain about it. He came out stronger. But he's still going to give you over 82 games. Hopefully he proves me wrong. He's still going to give you 20 to 25 points. So in my opinion, your third line is Jost with Maltsev and O'Connor. No matter who's playing center, it doesn't concern me. But Jost, Maltsev, and O'Connor is your, four, is your fourth line. And now you're suddenly missing three spots from the middle six. You have Newhook, you have Kadri, you have Burakovsky, you have Nichushkin. Sorry, you're missing two spots plus somebody, plus an extra player. So there's a lot of things up in the air. That includes Landeskog. There's just going to be so much of a shuffle but where does Comfort fit into all that? There really isn't a spot for him because he was supposed to be that secure third-line center. He's no longer that. So what would you say a return for Comfort looks like? I mean, is it somebody that jumps right into the lineup or do you think it's more, you know, trying to save some dollars and future assets like draft picks and whatnot? It could be one or the other. If there's a team that really likes him, I can see him getting traded one for one for a player making less, kind of like we saw Voracek for Atkinson. Uh, the Flyers saved $3 million on that trade for an extra year of Atkinson, who has four years left on his deal. Uh, or it just could be for a second or a third or a fourth round or whatever his value is at this point. People people value players like JT Comfort, especially teams that have the cap space to have a third liner making three and a half. The Avalanche just are not that team anymore. So a team like New Jersey, a team like LA, a team like Anaheim, uh, even teams that are that are better than that in terms of, you know, more likely to make the playoffs. Some of the Canadian teams out there. We saw the Rangers go out and sign Barclay Goudreau for 3.6. I think there's a team out there that's willing to take Comfort at three and a half. I'm with it. I'm trying to think of some other maybe possible options. I mean, we've seen so much shuffling and so many teams going for it, right? It was like Philadelphia has been one very active Love team. Yep. And then you see other teams that are kind of moving the opposite direction. So, yeah, I mean, there's got to be a lot of places that... He, would love to take a guy like JT Comfer and you know it, it seems like he's run his course here not that he's terrible but not that he's great either so you know I, I don't want to call him mediocre but you know let another team take on his mediocrity and see if he can uh, you know maybe up his game a little bit here and there but I, I don't think in Colorado he's gonna have much more uh, growth yeah so if Comfer was making 1.9 we'll say 2 million uh, that's a good fourth liner to play with Maltz of an O'Connor that would be a great fourth line. But can you afford as this team to have a $3.5 million fourth liner? And the answer is no. I know he kills penalties, but that's a lot of money for a fourth liner. I still, and I'll say it again, I still think Jost is a fourth liner and I still think you need to sort of uh, put a more physical person into that third line center role. I don't think it's going to be new hook. I think he's going to start on the wing. Then you start to look at UFAs and you got guys like Ryan Getzloff on the market if he even wants to leave California, which is you know not guaranteed at all. But I just don't think Comfort fits on this team because the spot that he fits in right now is on the fourth line with Maltsev and O'Connor, and you just can't pay $3.5 million for him to do that. So how, how old was that contract? I mean, how many years ago did he sign it, and what do you think the thought process was for, I guess, giving him that much money and ho I just hoping that he pans out? Or, I mean, had he earned it at that point? I'm trying to figure out what got us into this JT Comfort pickle because it didn't feel like it was ever an issue before. It uh, So this is going to be the third of the fourth year of his deal. Uh, the crummy part about it is last year, the contract was sort of created in a way where last year was the least amount of money he made. It was 2.6. He's making $4.5 million in actual dollars this year and three and a half next year. 
So that's going to be a little bit harder to trade because that's 8 million real dollars that you're trading for two years that you have to acquire for two years of JT Comfer. I think what happened with him, the problem was in 2018-19, he was pretty good. He had 16 goals, 32 points, and 66 games. Like that's an average of 39 of 40 in a full season, playing on the third line. Then in 2019-20, they brought in Kadri. His line, his his role became more secure as the third line center, and he still did pretty well. Not the best, not the worst. He had 11 goals and 31 points in 67 games. So still, that's about a 35 to 40 point average. But he took a dip this year. This was the first year he truly took a dip. And uh, it was to 10 goals and 18 points of 48 games. I don't think the Avalanche made a mistake signing him. Mind you, by the way, in 2019 and in 2020, he had 14 playoff points in 27 games. So that's better than a half a point per game for a player that's a depth piece. He only had a goal and two points in 10 games this year. So even his playoff numbers dipped. I don't think the Avalanche made a mistake giving him three and a half. I think they made a mistake giving him three and a half over four years. It's a lot of money for a guy that's going to give you 30-something points on the on the third line or on the second line sometimes. Uh, that had two-year contract written all over it. Two years, $7 million kind of deal, or three years, $10 million either. But to go to that fourth year is kind of what hamstrings them in this deal, especially when they knew that they had guys like Miko Ranton and that was coming up the following season. And then Kel McCarr a couple years later, Gabe Landeskog. I think they really dropped the ball there on giving him four years. Well, I guess let's circle back and, you know, wrapping up the Jonas Donskoy conversation. What did you think of the Kraken's team? How do you think they did in the draft and uh, picking other guys' players around the league? I I, I don't know what they're doing. Uh, I want to say I do, but Ron Francis kind of, he, he, he backed himself up into a corner. He, with every single trade, he wanted to acquire more than what people were willing to offer. So the Calgary Flames have a 38-year-old defenseman named Mark Giordano. He's their team captain. He's been there for forever. He's like the heart and soul of that team, but he's 38 years old. And they were going to take him, which they ended up taking him. Calgary said, what is it going to cost to save him so that you don't touch him? And they said a first and a third. Nobody's given up a first and a third for a 38-year-old. That's not going to happen. So he kind of over he overplayed his hand on what he can get back from play from teams. And the funny thing is, when the roster was being announced, all we kept thinking was like, all right, so now we're gonna wait a day. Thursday, the trade freeze is gonna kind of dot, you know, go away, one o'clock PM Eastern time, and all these side deals are gonna be announced. And then it quickly was known that there was no side deals. Ron Francis overplayed his hand. I think he was a little bit in over his head. Some of the picks were very questionable, like uh taking uh, Twarinski from Philadelphia, when you could have taken a depth defenseman like Robert Hag, who they ended up using to trade for Ristolainen. Um, you know, James Van Riemsdyk, I know he makes $7 million, but that's a player that could give you top six minutes and top six goal scoring for two years. There was just a lot of questionable picks on that roster. Um, and every time Ron Francis talks to media, it's always about we have cap space and we want to utilize that cap space. Well, it's like you could have utilized it in the expansion draft, you could have picked up somebody that costs a little more. You could have taken Jason Zucker from the Penguins and charged them something for it rather than taking Brandon Tanev, which coincidentally was the one contract that they kind of took that had a lot of money in a lot of years. So I don't know what he's doing. The Donskoy pick made a lot of sense. I feel like to go with the theme of what he was doing in terms of picking players from other teams, it would have made more sense for him to take JT Comfer, but you know, he still went with Donskoy. Um, we'll see what they do in UFA, but at first glance, knowing there was no side deals, uh, I'm not a fan of what Seattle did, not even a little bit. 
I like their defense. I do like their defense. Well, and that's the thing. They have a lot. They have kind of a plethora of defense and not really enough forwards to to feel the full NHL team. So obviously they're planning on making an impact and doing something big in free agency. But I'm not sure as a free agent you're going to have much luck uh, signing any of them, right? I mean, if you're a free agent, do you really want to go to Seattle and start things from scratch, especially seeing the team that they've built already. I mean, we're not the only ones with that opinion. I think other guys can see like, Oh, I don't think this team's going to be very good. So I still think they're going to have a hard time getting free agents if that's their plan. So, um, you know, they, they were able to get one done with Alexiak. We heard, I think Jaden Schwartz had been talking to him and not able to get a deal done yet. So that still gives the avalanche a chance who, you know, fingers crossed on my opinion, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how they do, but I I can't imagine they're going to be too strong come free agency time. Yeah, I mean, that's their plan. Pierre Lebrun wrote a story in The Athletic today saying that Seattle's plan is to go all in on the free agent market and they're going to try to circle back with Jaden Schwartz, but we'll see where it goes. I mean, the thing is with with Seattle is they're overvaluing everything to the point where as an expansion team, it's not about the quality, it's about the quantity in the sense where every single chance you had, you should have maximized the return. You should have maximized the ability to be like, okay, we'll 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 let you keep Giordano, give us a third and a second round draft pick or a two third round draft picks, and we'll take player X instead. And then you go to Philadelphia and we'll say, we'll take one of your big money guys. So let's say James Van Riemsdyk, we will take Van Riemsdyk off your hand, give us a third and a fifth. Just rack up as many assets as you can. They didn't do any of that. They looked at Vegas and Vegas got guys like Shea Theodore and Vegas got guys like Jonathan Marcheseau and a first round draft pick and two second rounders or three second rounders. And they got a second to take Fleury and Seattle sat back and said, um, we're not taking less than what they got. And teams are looking at Seattle like we're not going to give you what we gave Vegas. Fool me once like we're not going to do it again. So he overplayed his hand. And, uh, you know, the idea that salary cap is a weapon, it is a weapon if you use it. But like you said, how many guys are going to sign there? And now it comes to the point, like you said, with the defensemen. So they went out and they got a ton of defensemen, ton of big guys too, good defensemen. They got uh, Carson Soucy, Adam Larson was another UFA they signed, Jamie Alexiak, Mark Giordano. They got Jeremy Lozon. They got a ton of these guys. And now it's time to trade some of them because you can't keep all these guys on your roster. You're going to have to put some through waivers. Are you going to do what what uh, Vegas did and trade them for lesser than what they're worth just to, you know, like I said, stock up on quantity instead of quality? Or are you going to sit there and draw another hard line? Because what Vegas did was, for example, they took Mark Mathot from Ottawa after Ottawa had made that run to the third round in 2017, and they flipped him to Dallas for a mid-round pick just to get another draft pick. Are you going to do that with some of these guys, or are you going to hold a hard line and say that these guys are worth more when in reality, as an expansion team, it's not about the quality, it's the quantity, and and Seattle has none of that right now. Uh, I feel like they could be a little bit tough, right? I mean, like I said, the uh, free agent market for defensemen isn't really too hot right now, so I think the price on defensemen might be at an all-time high. So if there's a, a team calling about any of their defensemen, I think they can get overpaid or you know get overpriced for him um, just because of, of the desperation around the league. But... I, I don't know. It's going to be so crazy because there's so much movement across the league. And I feel like a lot of teams are starting to approach their uh, philosophies a little bit differently this year. So who knows? A lot of shuffling still to do. Yeah, there's a couple of guys on there. Vince Dunn is a pretty decent pickup. Uh, I love I love that they picked up the Flurry brothers because we're in the NHL and everybody likes to have the brothers. Uh, Jeremy Lozon's an underrated pickup. 
Curtis McDermott is just a tough son of a gun that's just going to kill everybody. Uh, Dennis Chalowski's whatever. Will Borgen, Gavin. Yeah, they got a lot of defensemen. Looks like four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve blue liners. So there's going to be some trades because not all these guys are going to play in the AHL right away. So really curious to see what they do there. But again, if the market is not there for your guys, you just need to start flipping them no matter what. And and if you're going to play the hard line that Ron Francis has been playing, then teams are going to look elsewhere. I'm with it. I'm with it. So let's move to the big news of the week. And that's the defenseman right here in Colorado. Kale McCarr signing his extension, not even an extension, a new contract, six years, $9 million AAV. Um, and according to his agency's tweets, uh, they really like the terms of the contract. Not, not as, I mean, it's not like they were upset with the number and the, the year, but uh, just the overall offer as a whole is what really sold them on it. Yeah, and I think the the most important thing with these contracts that we don't really take into account is the is the signing bonuses, is the base salary, and how that's allocated. Those are the things that matter. I mean, we saw Bartlett, his agent, go into how you know year one he's making eight million, year two nine, and then years three and four when he makes eleven and ten point six, his agent openly said that's when the escrow number goes down. More take home money for my client. He used the little money bag emoji too. It's great. So. I think those are things that we don't take into account as often. And to kind of add to that, what made me kind of realize that is Elliot Friedman mentioned. So Kale McCarr, the last year of his contract, so he goes 8 million, 9 million, 11, 10.6, 8.7. In the last year, he has a 5.7 base and a $1 million signing bonus. The $1 million signing bonus in year six of the deal is the only signing bonus that he's going to get over that entire contract. And Elliot Friedman mentioned a point, oh, and there's no trade protection at all. And it only covers one year of UFA. So Elliot Friedman mentioned that the fact that the Avalanche are so strict on the on the signing bonuses, the fact that they were strict on the no trade protection, things like that, not that they're going to trade Kale, but, you know, just not having that sort of caps, you know, not having that kind of holding your team back. He said, these are the types of things that might be holding them up with Gabe Landeskog. It's a fact that, you know, it's not that Gabe is looking for $7 million over five years, for example. It's that Gabe might want year one to be a $7 million signing bonus or whatever, like those crazy numbers that guys like Ryan O'Reilly have gotten in the past. Gabe wants that, and maybe the Avalanche don't want to offer that. So the terms of the agreement look good for Kale McCarr. Uh, that's why his agent sort of made it look the way that it did and structured it that way. It's just a matter of knowing if that's going to work for Gabe Landeskog. But for Kel McCarr's case, it's a great contract. It buys a year of UFA status. And for only buying a year of UFA status, that is a monumental contract to make $9 million a year. But it's worth every penny, and it is a bargain. There's one term that I feel like people aren't really talking about, and that's the term of Makar's brother. I don't believe in coincidences. And he signs this offer, and then what? About 24 hours later, the Avalanche go and draft his little brother. Now, I'm not saying that this is exactly what happened, but I love to think that maybe that was part of the negotiation and saying, hey, sign this today, six years, nine AAV, and we'll draft your brother too, on top of all these terms that we think you like and find favorable. So I like to think that maybe that was thrown in. Let's there. not pretend that that's not a thing. Do you remember Freddie Hamilton that once played for the Avalanche? Mm-hmm. When the Calgary Frames went out and got Dougie Hamilton, part of the agreement was go out and get my brother. They traded for Freddie Hamilton. I think they traded for a mid, like a seventh or sixth round draft pick. And then when Freddie was later traded away from Calgary, Dougie was pissed. 
it was part of the agreement to bring in my brother. We saw what Caleb Jones, Chicago went out and acquired Caleb Jones to kind of entice Seth to sign a long-term deal here, and he did. So it's 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 kind of hilarious how things work out like that in the NHL. Like I was saying, the Flurry brothers went to Seattle. Kirby Doc's brother was drafted by Chicago. But about 40, not 45 minutes, about an hour and a half or two hours before Kel McCarr's brother Taylor was drafted in the seventh round, we had a press conference with Kel McCarr, and Peter Ball asked him, your brother is eligible, eligible for the draft are you watching? Are you thinking about that? And Kale said, I'm more nervous about my brother getting drafted than I was for my draft here. And lo and behold, a couple hours later, the Avalanche draft him. Makar number two is on the team now. Classically, right? I mean, he knew he was going to get drafted first round. He wasn't sure if his brother was going to get drafted at all. So I think, of course, you're going to be a little bit more nervous for your brother. But um, of course, he's going to say the things he said on Instagram, like believing in the organization and whatnot. But I feel like coming from Kale McCarr, it holds a little bit more weight. I really like seeing the things and it seemed really genuine, his belief and just pride in being a part of the Colorado Avalanche. I love what he was, uh, by the way, that Instagram post, that was that UMass education through and through. That was a hell of a post. Very well written, very sophisticated. <laughs> better but, writer uh, than me. Yeah, better writer than me. I'll, t- I'll give him that. Um, but but the uh, my favorite thing about his press conference is he kept referring to the Avalanche as a program. I love the program we're developing here, the program we're building here. It's not a team. It's not a franchise. It's a program. I believe in the program. I believe in where this program is going. He used that term over and over and over again. And uh, I just like that mindset because it's, it really is. It's about what we're building for, not necessarily, you know, my least favorite thing is when a player signs a contract and it's like, yeah, it's, it's the Detroit Red Wings. It has a storied history. Nobody gives a shit about your storied history if Jonathan Bernier is your starting goalie. Like that's, <laughs> that's a far cry from, no offense to John Bernier, but like that's a far cry from the Eisermans and Shanahan's and, and, and Lidstrom's and so on and so forth. So it wasn't about, oh, I signed a contract where Peter Forsberg once played. It's about the program that we're building here by one of the legends, Joe Sackick is where I want to be for the next six years at a very reasonable cap number. And he even said during his press conference, we're building something here and none of us want to get in the way of that. And by none of us want to get in the way of that, he was talking about the cap number. He didn't want the cap number to be large. And uh, I kind of feel like that was kind of a little foreshadowing and and Kale might think that Gabe is coming back. Um, but I don't know, maybe I'm thinking too much into it. Of course, if somebody offers you $9 million and everybody's telling you, that more or less that's right around what you're worth on the market, you're going to take it. But Kale McCarr just strikes me as a guy that doesn't know what to do with $9 million. Like I feel like no. he, he might buy himself a, a new truck and maybe a new camouflage hat and donate some to a wildlife preservation. But other than that, he's probably just like, why do I need this much money? I don't. I hope I uh, share this story accurately, but Emily Kaplan. So you know how the NHL always usually like pre-COVID has the media day in October, early October, late September, where they all get together and I think it was in Buffalo one year, but in New York and they take their photos and they do all the fun little gimmicky games for NHL Network and all that. Mm -hmm. She asked a bunch of players that had signed their ELC deals and gotten, you know, four or five, six, seven hundred thousand dollar signing bonuses. What was the first thing you purchased with that money? And you got, you know, all the typical answers from young guys like Kirby Doc and guys like that. It was, you know, I got a car. I I paid off this. I, I did this for my parents. I bought a bunch of this or a bunch of that. 
Kel McCarr said, after signing my contract, I was so excited on my way home. I stopped at 7-Eleven and got a Slurpee. <laughs> like, that's the exactly. kid. That is Kel McCarr. And I love that story. That's that's the kind of guy he is. What the heck's he going to do with $9 million? Remember, right. the, He's not wearing Gucci. He's not driving yeah. a Lambo. He, doesn't, he has zero interest in any of that. Remember the playoff run in 2019? That first game that I covered, he talked during that entire series. We asked him about, you know, traveling with the team to Calgary and San Jose. He said, I got two suits and I've just been using the same two suits this entire trip. And all the guys are chirping me. Yeah. So he, it's he, that's that's who he is. Yeah, he needs to get himself a nice Philippe Patek or a Roly, something something to flash it off a little bit. You can't make nine million dollars and not let the people know. That's just my personal opinion. Um, but moving on, let's get to the draft. A, a lot of happenings during the draft and a lot of kind of chaos around trades, right? I mean, I thinking about it and you know how much I love to bet, Arif. I'm I'm suspending myself from betting on hockey until about a month into the season because there's just been so much shuffling and so much movement around with players that I'm not exactly sure what teams are going to look like coming out of the gate that I'm going to give it a good couple weeks, kind of gauge it from there, get a feeling, and then start betting it. But there was just so much movement the other day, and there's still more to come. Yeah, and and let's not forget, because we haven't recorded since this day, the day of the trade freeze before the expansion draft. All the, actually, no, we did record that day, but all the movement back then with the Ryan Ellis trades and all that stuff back then, and then going into the trade freeze, coming out of the trade freeze, Philadelphia completely redid their their defense. They went out and got Ryan Ellis. A few days later, they went out and got Rasmus Ristolainen. They traded a big name in Voracek. They bought back Atkinson. Hell of a lot of uh, money moving there. The Arizona-Vancouver deal is still the most mind-boggling to me that Vancouver was able to offload three terrible contracts in Beagle, Roussel, and Erickson, $12 million worth of cap space that they freed up to trade for Oliver ekman Larson and Connor Garland. They also gave up the, I think, 14th overall pick or 13th overall pick. But the crazy thing is, all three of those guys that they offloaded had one more year left on their deals. ekman Larson has six. So it is a massive gamble because if ekman Larson continues to fall the way that he has the last two, three years... Suddenly, you just got rid of three con- bad contracts for one year for a bad contract for six years, but getting traded out of Arizona could reinvigorate his career. Sam Reinhardt going to Florida, also a fun trade. A lot of fun moves that were happening around the NHL. Obviously, the Seth Jones deal was massive. Carolina went out and got a ton of draft capital and Adam Bokvist for Seth Jones. And then they used one of those second rounders to get Jake Bean. Like, Yarmo Kekalainen came out really well on a trade for a player that wanted to go to, like, two places. Well, we'll see how well he can keep them. Yeah, exactly. And he's going to make nine and a, yeah, exactly. And he's going to make nine and a half million uh, for the next eight years, which was an insane contract. But you know, you can't really compare it to the Kel McCarr contract because with Seth Jones, you're buying eight years of UFA. With Kel McCarr, you're buying one year of UFA. So that's the difference there. This is Kale's first big contract. This is Seth Jones' second. By the time Seth, uh, Kale signs a second contract, nine point five for Seth is going to look hilariously low. So that's kind of the way you have to look at that because I know a lot of people, me included, when we saw the Seth Jones deal, we're like, all right, Kale's got to make more than this, but not necessarily the case when you take into account the UFA and RFA years and all that. A lot of fun stuff around the NHL. The draft was interesting in itself, but I'm excited to see more player movement. I think there's going to be a lot more, and uh, I think it's, 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 it's a casualty of the flat cap. Teams have to be a little bit more or a little less cautious and a little bit more ballsy to make trades because you're not waiting for two or three or four million to get added to your cap anymore. It's not happening for a couple of years. You have to make these bigger moves. 
Well, sticking with the draft and the the guys the Avalanche picked, I mean, it seems like they were extremely pleased with the guys that they selected. So uh, what did you think of their work? I mean, obviously not as many picks as a, a lot of other teams because they only had four rather than six or seven. Um, but yeah, how do you feel they did? I like it. I mean, Oscar, Oscar Olison, I've done, I've done a lot of reading on him since he was selected. I'm not going to pretend I've watched him play before that. And, uh, he seems like a good scoring, uh, forward. He seems like he's got a lot of versatility to his game in terms of being a leader, in terms of playing with a physical edge. Um, but he's a good character guy. He's a guy that you can see wearing a captain on his jersey, a captain C on his jersey somewhere along the way, maybe not with the avalanche, but somewhere along the way. And that seems to be the theme with the abs. They always draft these good character, high character, high quality leadership, just good kids. Uh, and then the second kid, they took Sean Barons. None of us have watched him play, but you know what? A lot of us are going to watch him play because he's an incoming freshman to DU. He's a defenseman. Um, he's only 5'10". He's a smaller blue liner, which is hilarious because that's the draft pick you used uh, to uh, trade Ryan Graves. That's a pick you got back, and you got a guy <laughs> that's about half the size of Ryan Graves. But... Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see more with him. The jury's out. Well, not the jury's out, but we don't really know much about him, but we will. He's going to play, you know, a few miles up the road from where we are. Yeah, and I'm sure if you're him, when you were waiting to be drafted and you're thinking like, oh man, these teams aren't, they're passing on me because of my size. And then suddenly the avalanche pick you and you're like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. I think I would fit in there because they already have a, a couple guys that are undersized like me and they know how to work them. So I, I'm excited to be a part of that organization. Yeah, and I think he's going to be a three. Yeah, ex, the program. Yeah, and I think he's going to be a three-year player. We know David Carl doesn't like to have, doesn't like to recruit players that only play one or two years. He tries to keep it to three, uh, or preferably four. Uh, I can see Barons playing there for three years, and uh, we'll see what happens over these three years. The Avs roster could look completely different by then. Yeah, but I mean, there's one thing for sure: they've got a lot of defensemen that are going to be on the come up, right? They're mm-hmm. going to have a lot of options in uh, three, four years from now that. Uh, Still playing in the AHL. The one I always forget about is Justin Barron. Like, Mm -hmm. that's a good player that they picked up last year. Very, very underrated pickup. And then Drew Hellison. So a lot of guys coming up for this team. Yeah, I mean, you've always got high hopes for the drafted guys. But, you know, it genuinely feels like the Avalanche did really well this year. And with Wade Klippenstein, it being his first draft as the head scout, I feel like he probably felt pressure and felt like he had to bring it. And so I, I think he can't be anything but pleased. But again, it takes a while for us to really know, but it feels like they did well and they they got the guys they wanted. Yeah. Uh, my question to you, what, what did you think of ESPN's uh, draft show? Well, let me tell you this, Arif. I told you a couple weeks ago on this very podcast that I subscribe to ESPN Plus because of the upcoming, you know, broadcasting and everything that they're going to be doing with uh with hockey so that being said i didn't i thought that maybe espn broadcasts were going to come with that subscription but they don't so it wasn't until the uh, expansion draft day when i was trying to watch the expansion draft that i realized (laughs) i don't get to watch any of the espn or espn2 coverage i only get espn plus stuff so i had to miss it and right now i gotta shuffle some things around and try to figure out how i'm gonna get espn for the upcoming year because last thing i want is for them to be like you have the option of watching seattle versus vancouver or you can watch nashville versus carolina and all the other good games are going to be on espn or espn 2 or tnt so i I gotta figure that out yeah you're gonna want both you're gonna want the espn plus well i mean the espn plus is also going to be where the nhl center ice now now lives nhl tv um 
But yeah, that's a good point. I, I really liked the broadcast. I thought Kevin Weeks was awesome. That guy's a star in the making. I thought Emily Kaplan was good in, in Columbus. She kind of was doing her own thing. Uh, Sam Constantino was a was a great was a great like breath of fresh air. Just the, the the voices they had and the way they ran that show was just so refreshing. It was different than what we're used to with NBC. Uh, it was like a nice it was a nice modernized version of what the NHL's provided us for the last fifteen years. Um, and I think it went great. I think the Seattle expansion draft, as tacky as it was, was pretty fun. Uh, and I think that this that the actual draft, given that it was another virtual draft, they did a pretty good job. Uh, I hate that it ended on a sour note with Montreal's bullcrap drafting and, and then Chicago coming out and doing their thing with the 32nd overall pick, which was stupid. But uh, the show in itself and what ESPN brought, I think, was really, really good. And I think we're, we're going to be in for for a lot of good coverage from ESPN. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much pull Greg Wyshynski has over there, but it really seems like they're listening yeah. to his ideas because yep. he knows. He knows what, what would be a better product and how to make the NHL and NHL more interesting. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I think the uh, quest for the cup that I've brought up a couple yeah. times on the podcast that they have on ESPN+, Plus, I feel like that has Greg Wyshynski's fingerprints all over it. You right? can tell. He loves you that. can tell. He loves yeah. that kind of stuff. And as soon as they hired Greg Wyshynski three, four years ago when he left Puck Daddy to join them and then they brought in Emily Kaplan... You just knew if they were investing in somebody like Greg that they wanted the NHL rights and they wanted to build this. And uh, they rewarded him with it, man. I think it was really cool when they had that video where they released all the names of the people that they hired. And it was like Mark Messier and this guy and that guy and Chelios and who and whatever. Greg Wyshynski was in there and on his podcast, he even said he was like, it was hilarious for me to be part of that video. But he's a big name and they're listening to him because he is the hockey guy. He's the original hockey guy. And he has a lot of modernized ideas, and you can tell that some of those are are ultimately what they're doing. Right. I mean, in hockey, we always throw stones at the guys that didn't play, right? But at the end of the day, it's the those type of guys that have wait, the well, out-of-the-box well, ideas. Wait, 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 Yeah, I throw you stones throw- at you for it all the time, Eric. Ah, damn. <laughs> I mean, I'm it's just right. the guy. We've been recording for 38 minutes. I've been talking for 37 and a half of them, but sure, yeah. Hey, I, once I we get, hey, once we get to the season and we could talk X's and O's, I'm I'm back all over it. But until yeah. then, you're the, the business nerdy stuff. Side it's of all the, me. Yeah, I mean, I already yeah. said it. I nerd out over this stuff, the rumblings exactly. and the talks and the negotiations and the trades. Yeah, I love this stuff. Right. We want to talk power play. We want to talk breakout. We want to talk neutral zone coverage. And I'm all over it. But yeah, th- this is your expertise here. So moving on, we finally got to hear from Joe Sackick. It's been a while, and uh, I feel like. It was with much anticipation that we got to hear some of the things he said. So I guess of his presser, what stood out to you? Um, and I guess both from the question aspect and his answers. I like the fact that in both his and Kel McCarr's press conferences, they openly talked about Gabe Landeskog. Um, it kind of gave me this feeling that like Gabe is still a part of the team. I, I don't think that they think they're going to lose him. Uh, and if they do lose him, it's going to be one of those things where they're going to have like, not their hands up in the air and be like completely shocked by it, but they're going to say like, we really did try to the last possible minute. Uh, but it made me feel a little bit more comfortable knowing that like, they want to keep this core together. They want to grow with it. And and Gabe is part of that. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, bad mouthing of Gabe that I've seen on Twitter recently where he's not that important and he's just riding the coattails of McKinnon and Landeskog. And I'm like, no, 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 we need to, we need to put a rest to that conversation. Uh, Pittsburgh acquired a bunch of star players to play with Sidney Crosby and none of them ever worked. And then they brought in a guy named Chris Kunitz and he did work and they paid him 
and they kept him and they let him continue to play. And he did so well with Sidney Crosby. He made freaking Team Canada over Marty St. Louis and other big names uh, because of how good he plays with Sid. That's Gabe Landeskog with McKinnon and Landeskog, uh, with McKinnon and Rantanen. That's Gabe Landeskog on that top line. People were talking about Brandon Saad did well, but in 2019, or sorry, in 2018-19, the last full 82-game season we had, Gabe had 31 goals and 75 points playing on that top line in 72 games. Brandon Saad's not doing that. He's not putting up a point per game. So went a little off course, but basically Joe Sackick talked a lot about Gabe Landeskog and wanting to bring him back. He kind of did the same thing with Grubauer, but you can tell with Phil, he was just kind of like throwing in his name because he didn't want to just mention Landeskog and have people be like, but what about Grub? So he always, with everything he said was, Philip and Gabe, we're working on Philip and Gabe. I personally don't think Philip's back. I think he's going to make more money than what the Avalanche can afford. Uh, but I think Gabe Landeskog was genuine. They do want him back. Um, I also like when he talked about, you know, I mentioned it earlier. He talked about this was the deepest team we're going to have. And I personally asked him, I said, how are you going to fill out the rest of your roster knowing that you're losing so many guys? And he said, uh, you know, I said, if, are you going to be a player in free agency? And he said, we'll figure that out once we figure out what we're doing with Gabe and Phillip. So it's step one, re-sign Gabe or know for sure that Gabe's not coming back. Step two, re-sign Phillip or go out and trade for his replacement like uh, Darcy Kemper. And step Eagle three. Shesterkin. Oh, no, 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 no. Shesterkin's not leaving the Rangers, but. They, Ilyas, I, what I heard is that they're having a hard time negotiating. Ilya so. Sorokin, I still like that idea. I know the Islanders cleared up a bunch of cap space, but he might want three, four, five million, and they already got Varley making five. But there are some names out there. Linus Olmark's another one, but I really don't like the idea of bringing in a goalie from Buffalo. No matter how much uh, potential he has, it just seems like bad juju, especially you already have one of those in JoJo. So <laughs> you don't really want to do that again. But uh Step one, figure out the Landeskog. Step two, fill up, figure out Grubauer. Step three, now you know what your salary cap space is. And in the very beginning of the podcast, when we were talking about that depth chart and all the spots where you have a blank space, that's when you start to fill in those names. I just refuse to believe that there's as much animosity between Landeskog and the Avalanche as we're led to believe, yeah. right? Yeah. I like to think that there's a little bit of, you know, Montreal gamesmanship going on, but I'm trying to process what would be the advantage of doing that, right? Where and the parallel I'm drawing is how Mark Bergevin kind of made you uh, made Seattle think that Carey Price was going to be injured for a much longer time than he actually was and then oh, turns out he's going to be ready for the fall. Yeah, it turns out he'll be fine in 6 to 8 weeks or whatever it was. Yeah, that was a that was a total I mean, I if you're Ron Francis, you got to file a grievance on that. That was total bullshit. Jake <laughs> Allen should be a goalie in Seattle right now. I don't think there was any gamesmanship. I don't agree with that. I, I don't agree with it when you said it last episode either. But I genuinely believe in the moment when things were heating up about seven to 10 days ago, Gabe Landeskog, feelings got involved. He got emotional. He was upset. He was frustrated. And he openly said it in his article in The Athletic, his interview with Peter Barr, whoever he spoke with at The Athletic. I think now that they had that trade freeze and then they had that negotiation freeze because he was unprotected and only Seattle can talk to him. And I think now that the avalanche have kind of taken a week off of talking to him, both guys can settle. Both sides can settle. I should say both sides could let the emotions out. They can forget about what was happening seven or 10 days ago. And now they can go back to the drawing board and start over and say, all right, let's get this done. 
I don't think there was any gamesmanship. I think there was a lot of emotions involved. And I think those emotions kind of became front and center rather than the numbers and and the terms and the structures of the contract. It just went back to, I can't believe you're disrespecting me. I'm your nine-year captain and a 10-year veteran of this team. So if they can overcome that step, there is a deal to be had here. My predictions, and I tweeted them, was five years at 6.8. Sorry, five years at 7.2 or six years at 6.8. Those are the two predictions I'm going to put out there. And it's going to be hilarious when he signs for less than that because he's Gabe. Well, much like Landeskog, I think that's where I'm coming up with this theory. And it's not that I buy into it. I don't think there's gamesmanship because I've spent literally the last two weeks trying to process in my head what the advantage would be to doing there something like that. There is none. There's none. There's literally nothing. Um, so, but I, I just, you know, I guess I'm thrown back by the avalanche being that disrespectful to Gabe Landeskog, and I don't think it would happen. So I, I, I'm with you, but I'm just trying my hardest to not believe it. Say it isn't so, Arif. Say it isn't so. Yeah. It's, we still got three days to figure out if it is so or not, but uh, I'm still on the 50-50 train. But I genuinely believe if Gabe Landeskog walks, it's because something went terribly wrong that was not something they could fix up no matter what the contract was. Uh, let's hope it doesn't get to that because, you know, Gabe Landeskog is a replaceable player. We're not going to sit here and act like he's Nathan McKinnon. But losing him from this locker room at this current state of the where the team is and where they're trying to go is hard to recover from. It's It's not going to be a good look. You don't want that to happen now. It could be different in 24 months. It could be different in 36 months. But right this moment, losing Gabe is just not good for the program. And you kind of got into this at the beginning of the podcast, but what else do you think needs to be done to shore up this lineup? I feel like the laundry list and the to-do list for Joe Sackick is a lot longer than what's going to actually be reasonably achievable. So two-parter, what else needs to be done and what do you think actually gets done in uh, upcoming free agency here? I think Joe's going to get creative like he always does. There's going to be new names added into this roster and it's going to be role players. Think of, and I know we've been talking about this for months and we always mimic the idea, but Tampa Bay didn't trade their, didn't change their main core. They went out and brought in guys like Patrick Maroon and Yanni Gord, not Yanni Gord, the other two guys, Blake Coleman and Berkeley Goudreau. There's going to be some creativity from Joe Sackick and it's going to be guys of that ilk. If you, if, if I was the GM, which I'm not for a reason, uh, Tyson Jost is playing on the fourth line with Maltsev and O'Connor and Comfer is traded. And then you're signing Ryan Getzloff to center that third line with Nichushkin and Corey <laughs> Perry. Like that, like how great would it be to have a third line of Nichushkin, Perry and Getzloff? Yeah. And if Corey Perry can't play the third line, well, guess what? You have guys like O'Connor and Jost on the fourth line that are very more than capable of handling a top nine role, but that still leaves a blank spot in the second line where you can give it to new hook or you can go out and trade for somebody else. But it's going to be something like that. It's going to be creative pieces that are going to be added to the roster that nobody's thinking of. Uh, but it's not going to be big names unless Landis Gog walks. I don't think they're in on Jaden Schwartz. I thought Connor Garland was a good piece, but obviously he went over to the uh, Vancouver Canucks in that trade. But it's going to be players like that. It's going to be good pickups, good solid names uh, that that are that are going to be you know not making three point five million dollars, but are going to be good role players to get you over the hump when you run into issues like you did against Vegas. Rather than no disrespect to them going out and trading for guys like Patrick Nemeth and especially Carl Soderberg when you should have been acquiring these types of players. I'm not sure Avs fans' hearts can handle another 
Mighty Ducks reunion, like we, did, we saw with Solani and Korea. I don't know if Perry and yeah. Getzloff is something that we can all take, you know, emotionally. But I, you know, it's a little I, bit different, but it would be fun. Like I said earlier, my fingers are crossed for Jaden Schwartz because I think he's one of the bigger names available and one of the more reasonable that you can actually bring in here and make a, a really positive impact. So. Who knows? Uh, it's probably going to be somebody that neither you or I have said or thought about. So I guess we just have to wait and see uh, and watch Joe Sackick and wave his magic wand and keep trying to make this team better. So it's tough for him. He's got a road ahead. Here's another one that I keep thinking of, and I don't know why I keep thinking of this, but if they do get rid of JT Comfer, uh, maybe they decide to trade Tyson Joseph. They do this as well. What if they go out and sign somebody like Philip Deneau? He's a centerman. But he's a good shutdown centerman. And do you remember the Nathan McKinnon interview on the Spit and Chicklets podcast when they asked him who's the hardest centerman to play against? And for some reason, he said Philip Deneau. And we saw that why that was during this playoff run. Yeah. So, yeah, he might get five. He might get five and a half or six. But And that's what I was going to say is the, the rest of the league saw what he did in that Stanley Cup. So he's exactly. going to get overpaid. He's going to get good money. But maybe, maybe Sackick says let's completely stack the centermen and then have role players on the wing. You never know. It just, there's a lot of different things. That's just an idea. It's not my top choice, but there's a lot of different things that Joe can do and get creative. Once he does, like he said in his press conference, he figures out the Gabe Landeskog situation, figures out the goaltending and Grubauer situation. And then you know how many dollars you have, go out and have fun with it. And then obviously you also have to sign Jostin Timmons, but I don't, I don't foresee those contracts being huge. No. What do you think the Timmins one? I was met wrestling around with Cat Friendly this morning. Still wasn't able to put a team together. But what do you think Timmins ultimately signs at? Less than a mil? I'd say like one, two, five, one, three. Yeah, that's kind of where and I then, had him at too. And then Tyson Jost. Tyson Jost, I, I constantly go back to two years, four million. So two million a year. I don't know why that's the number I've been thinking of, but two years, two million a year. Don't give him four years like JT Comfer. Well, I guess we'll wait and see. But, um, you know... Free agency right around the corner. Got to hope that the Landeskog deal gets done at the very last minute at the latest. Um, but other than that, all we have left is our three stars of the week. So anything else you want to get out there before we wrap this baby up for the week? Yeah, I want to ask you a question. Do you remember Jason Blake? No. He played for the Islanders and then Toronto scored 40 goals. He retired in 2010, I want to say. Uh, do you remember Mike Sillinger who played for like a million teams? That name rings a bell, yes. Do you remember Stefan Robida, the defenseman that played Absolutely. in Dallas and now in Nashville? And then and then Toronto. He retired in Nashville, right? No, he retired in I think Toronto. Oh. Well he played in Nashville at one point. I believe so. Um do you remember Shane Doan? Yeah. Okay. That's an easy one. What is something that all four of these guys can relate on? These are all guys that we watched, you know, I, I'm a little bit younger than you, but I'm, I'm 28. These are guys that I watched well into my 20s. It sounds like those are guys that played well beyond their peaks. All four of those guys had their son drafted into the NHL on Friday and Saturday. Oh, I was close. <laughs> Not at all. So like, yeah, like these are just regular run-of-the-mill names. Like it's... I mean, we're a couple years away. I don't think they're going to get drafted or if they're good enough to get drafted, I haven't really kept up. But like we're a couple years away from Milan Hayduke's kids being eligible for the draft. They were born in 04. I'm sure 03. they're drafted. You think they're going to get drafted? I, I bet they get drafted. Okay. I, I haven't do. really been keeping up with their careers, but it's Merrick. I've heard one of them is just absolutely Merrick, disgusting. and I forget the other one's name, but I know there's a Merrick Hayduke in there. Um, 
but these are just regular guys that we watched in the same generation as Milan Hayduk and their kids are all getting drafted into the NHL. Like that is mind boggling to me. Yeah. I mean, it feels like Shane Doan retired two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and his yeah. kid was drafted. Surprise, surprise by the coyotes. So, right. And he had to sit there and look all happy and, but at the same time, be professional. It was weird. I got a feeling that one day, 95% of the NHL is going to be prodigies of former NHLers. I mean, it's it's been like that for generations. We're, we were already seeing it, and, and it's just going to continue that way. Well, that brings us to the Mile High Sports three stars of the week. We're going to give star number three to Jonas Donskoy. Just as a kind of a thank you, yeah. right? I mean, it's I wouldn't caps. say he... He, yeah, exactly. Just, uh, you know, thanks for being a part of it. You did your best. It wasn't really good enough. Good luck in Seattle. Yeah, no, um, he, he, he played his role for, for what it should have been. Uh, he wasn't supposed to be a top six winger the whole time. He was a lot of the times, but uh, I'm, I'm not going to bash what he did. He was good here. He went through stretches of not scoring, but everybody's, everybody's streaky scores in the NHL. Sure. Um. Yeah, he wasn't exactly, you know, he's just kind of a guy to me, you know, both from a production standpoint on the ice and in the locker room. You know, he wasn't exactly a guy that was going to say much to you or that you were sprinting to go talk to. But, um, you know, he also wasn't the bottom feeder of the team, right? He was right there in the middle and just a very average hockey player, I think, at least in terms of NHL. And and, and those are the the kind of guys you need to win. And I I just love the fact that uh, my favorite memory of him will be the hat trick, the first game back with fans against Arizona, the same game that McKinnon threw a helmet at <laughs> Connor Garland, but that nine-something drubbing where the Avalanche were up 5 nothing eight minutes in, and he had a hat trick in those first seven or eight minutes. We're probably never going to see anything like that ever again with the Avalanche because he has the record for the fastest hat trick. It's It was a great moment. We'll always remember him with that, but stick taps to him. He's been a trooper for these two years, and uh, good luck in Seattle, like you said. Right. Star number two, we're going to give it to Kale McCarr, of course, because he's sticking around and can't wait to see those rosy cheeks smiling for the next six years and, and beyond. Yeah, I I love the contract, especially after Haskinen got 845. I said Kale's going to get in the nine and nine and a half range and right on the money with the nine. It's not eight years, but it's also not three or four or five. It's six years. It's a lot of years and it's right below what Miko Rantanen makes. And uh, that says to me that the Avalanche are going to try to do that Tampa Bay model where Vasilevsky and Kucherov and Stamkos and Hedman are all within about a million and a half of each other because um, Nathan McKinnon is due for a contract. And, and seeing Rantanen make 9.2 and Kale making 9, I just don't think McKinnon is going to make 12 or 13. I think he's going to be a trooper and he's going to take 10 or even you know high 9s. You never know. How long until Makar has an A on his sweater and is it inevitable that he'll eventually have a C? on it i think he's the next captain of this team no matter when gabe walks um i think if gabe Re- gabe landeskog resigns gabe's gonna play another six seven eight years so it'll be the next mccarr contract when he gets it but i think he is the future did you see something going down unless right if, like stepping down what if landeskog says you know what i think mccarr it's his time Ah, uh, that i don't see that i don't see that gabe gabe is just really good at what yeah. he does even if he ends his career on the third line he's just too good a player to to He's just too good a leader to do that. Um, there's still a possibility that Nathan McKinnon can grow and, and develop into more of a leadership role, but you know, never say never. But at this point in time, I think McCarr is the next captain of this team. And in regards to the A, uh, as soon as they take it off Eric Johnson's sweater, I know they they went with Sam Gerrard this year most of the time, but Kale is a leader and uh, 
Eric Johnson's not going to be around. Okay, we even saw Kadri get one. Kadri was two years ago, the nineteen twenty season. But this last season, it was Gerard and it was Ranton and that were getting it most. They 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 moved away from the Kadris and Belmars and went toward the Gerards and Rantonins. Yeah, I was gonna say didn't Belmar have one at one point too? Um, so yeah, star number one. We got to give it to Matt Calvert, right? Yes. I mean, it's kind of a bummer to see him go the way he did, and we kind of saw this coming from the start of the season. Once we saw that pink visor coming out, I remember telling you like that's a that's a red flag. I think that's a a bad sign that he has to play hockey with a, a special visor, and that it was just because of the lights hurting his head. I, it did, didn't seem like uh, he had much time left, and here it is. He was forced to retire, and and it's a bummer because he brought a lot. He gave his heart and soul to the game, and he's just a guy that uh the that the NHL is going to miss, not just the Avalanche, but that's the type of player that I think everybody wants on their team. Yeah. Um, so here's the crazy thing about that is it's obvious, you know, it's, it, it makes a lot of sense for him to have retired because of head injuries and, and concussion issues, right? Well, that's what I thought too, but he was on NHL Network Radio on Friday or Saturday, I forgot which day, and he said that he had season-ending back surgery. But there's news so to me. So one of, yeah, so one of those, it was news to me when I heard it too. One of those setbacks that he had this season in his comeback was something to do with his back. And uh, that's ultimately what's put an end to his career. I think he was well, going to keep going with that pink visor, but um, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. And, no, no, like, I'm happy you trash did. you for that. I, I was tweeting about it too. <laughs> you got to think it's a combination of, of all the things, right? Yeah, I mean, the, it's, the season it's a ending lot. back and then just like, man, I can't deal with any more concussions. I can't deal with any more back pain. Let's call this a wrap. And, uh, you know, I can't, I can easily see him jumping into a front office of some organization, you know, probably Columbus. But, you know, he's just kind of one of those guys that can stick around an organization forever and contribute, whether it's through uh, player development or, you know, learning the GM side of things. I think he still has a lot to offer the game off the ice. Yeah. And uh, his quote was an absolute beauty in the NHLPA, uh, the story that they tweeted out. And he said, it was an absolute honor to wear the Columbus Blue Jackets and Colorado Avalanche jerseys throughout my career. I would bleed for those organizations any day. And, and he, he did. freaking did. Yeah. He did so often. And uh, I, I remember, uh, I mean, we only had him for so many years in Colorado, but there was a Blue Jackets fan that tweeted back to it. Gary Weinheimer tweeted back and he said, November 18, 2016, Matt Calvert took a Nick Holden shot to the head in the second period bled all over the ice, came back in the score in the third to score the game-winning goal shorthanded. Then there was another guy that said he got nailed by a puck to the forehead, Think talking about a different time, goes to the locker room, gets this stitched up, bandage, and back on the ice for the overtime game-winning goal. That's Matt Calvert. That's what he does. He bled for those organizations. Hell of a guy. Yeah. I mean, he's the one that got hit in the head by, who was it, Elias Peterson when they were playing Vancouver. Nate yes. McKinnon went off last yeah. year. Um, he was, that was him. So yeah. how many pucks did he take to he the He literally did bleed God. for those organizations. Just a hell of a dude. And and by the way, one of the nicest guys. I love talking to him. I used mm. to talk to him after like practices and just have like longer conversations with him. Genuinely an awesome guy. Absolutely. So, you know. I think that's a good place to stop it here. Uh, positive things about Matt Calvert. Obviously, we wish him the best in his uh, retirement. And like I said, I, I can easily see him being with an NHL team. So that's all I have for you today. Arif, your closing thoughts for today's podcast. Uh, my closing thoughts are these next three days are going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be a little bit of a calm before the storm, the next storm, because we've already seen a couple of them in the NHL the last couple of weeks. 
but uh, it's going to be fun. I think there's going to be more money thrown around this year than last year. I know last year teams were really tight with the contracts. Nobody got a lot of big money. But the most important thing to think of this year is that even though the cap didn't go up, from a player standpoint, not from a team standpoint, but from a player standpoint, $81.5 million opened up because of the Seattle expansion draft. That's the equivalent of the salary cap going up by $2.7 million. So suddenly, free agents, rookies, players looking for extensions like Seth Jones and Kel McCarr suddenly have $81.5 million in the system more than there was a season ago. We've already seen a lot of crazy money being thrown around. I think we're going to see a lot more on Wednesday. Let's hope it's all allocated well, at least for the yes. avalanche sake. Let's uh, not give any give outs or anything. And, and shout out to the team that trades for JT Comfrey. He's a hell of a dude. <laughs> Please, please take, please take. Right on. Well, that we're right about the hour mark. So it's a fantastic length. I love when we hit the hour. Of course, we got to take a second to thank everybody for hanging out with us. We saw record numbers on our last podcast. So appreciation to all you listeners for helping us do that and help us continue to grow. And we look forward to still being here for you guys throughout the year, throughout the off season and throughout next year. So, you know, special thanks to all the listeners. I know we do it all the time, but this one feels extra warranted. Absolutely. Uh, the, the numbers were awesome to see. The, the Our audiences are, are growing for the podcast on Twitter, the interactions. Love it. Keep it up. Uh, and, and let's get through this fun off season. And uh, it's a short one because the NHL season is just over two months away. So the NHL schedule did come out since we last recorded. So that was fun to see as well. Fun to see a regular schedule. Fun to see not oh, a yeah. lot of uh, back-to-backs and, and head-to-heads. Yeah, not a lot of back-to-backs and head-to-heads like there were rumors of happening, but opening the season against Chicago and then playing St. Louis and then going on a road trip to Tampa Bay and Florida and all these places that the Avalanche haven't been in in a long time. So it's going to be a lot of fun to see that. Yeah, I also noticed a lot of, uh, a lot of, not a lot of, but long, I think there were two long road trips and then all the homestands seemed to be shorter than normal. There weren't any long homestands. I think four was the longest. Yeah, not not a lot of big homestands, which is great for me after last year when we would have like seven, eight, nine game homestands that would go 15 mm-hmm. days and you just like, you couldn't breathe, man. That was a grind. 8.30 starts. 8.30 starts too because of that friggin' West division. But man, th- yeah. that was a grind. This 2021 year was just an absolute blur. There were some weeks where I don't even remember how I got through them, but I love seeing the schedule. I love seeing the Olympic uh, break uh, built into there and the all-star game break built into there, even though I kind of think the NHL might still not go to the Olympics. We'll find out. But uh, October 12, the season starts. The Avalanche play October 13 at home. And the regular season, if they go to the Olympics, goes all the way to April 29th, which is pretty damn deep into April. But if the Olympics doesn't happen, it'll be around the April 10 mark as usual. I love it. Get the playoffs deep into the summer again. It's so much fun. But yeah, again, thanks everybody for hanging out with us. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. We'll be back very soon to break down uh, some more Avs hockey for you guys. So again, hockey's for everyone. And we out you. <laughs>